This is TV Podcast Industries, where we're looking at Watchmen Episode 7 and Almost Religious Awe. Welcome back, fellow watchers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're watching The Watchmen, Episode 7, and almost religious awe. Not awe, but awe. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, fellow watchers. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, and we are all slightly broken due to a number of technical difficulties, but more <laughs> importantly, probably broken by this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's a lot of brain-breaking... Um, huh? Yeah. Or as Angela loves to say, Derek, take it away. WTF? Why the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this face? moment in time, I'm expecting an elephant to fall on the house. <laughs> so yeah. what, my big question really, guys, is this is our 441st episode of TV Podcast Industries. Or is that our 450th because of the amount of times this episode has crossed? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> it it, it, it feels like or? both. Either one has <laughs> added to grey hair on my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I am rapidly losing the will to live. But after this but episode, not the, the episode will is awesome. to podcast. Yes, no, that is true. That is true. Is but it, yeah. Um, but yes, I'm kind of just going to go into an insane asylum, I think. <laughs> uh, you yes. know, sort of straight jackets, you name it, men in white coats. Um, and that's me done. But before we commit one of our fellow podcast <laughs> hosts, um, let's just jump right into the episode details because the preamble, we've done four different versions of the preamble <laughs> and I don't know which one is the best or which one we can do anymore. So mm-hmm. without further ado, Derek, do you want to give us some of the episode details? They are all lost to history, unfortunately. Uh, yes, this episode was written by Stacey Osei-Kofer and Claire Kishel. Um, Stacey's an up-and-coming writer, only done one other credit before on a Hulu show a comedy series called Pen15. If you don't get the joke in the name of that episode, just write it down in front of you. Pen15. Um, good joke. I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it links with Dr. Manhattan, it basically. Does. <laughs> it does, or at least next episode, possibly. Um, the episode was also written by Claire Kaishel, um, also a neurowriter, but has written an episode of season two of The OA. So some, a good credit for her first year writing, really. Yeah, it, it does feel like uh, Damon, as you said uh, in our previous recording, uh, Damon went on holidays and left Stacy and Claire there and they just kind of gave away everything. <laughs> it's, it's just like what, while the dad's away, yeah. the mice will play. It's kind of like, actually, Damon, right, we guess you could stretch this to six seasons like you did with Lost. But what we're going to do is in episode seven, we're going to tell everybody how Angela got her name. We're going to tell everybody where Dr. Manhattan is, what's happening with Adrian Veidt. It's all going on. What's happening with Looking Glass? Everything's solved. It's all on the table right now. And remember, we've only got two episodes left this season as well. But as you say, Chris, this is the first episode that Damon Lindelof isn't credited as writer. Uh, he has been credited on every one of the episodes up to this so far. And yeah, interesting that this is the most revealing episode. Um, but he has said on many occasions, everybody's in the writer's room. The way the credits are handed out is slightly different. Some people get more credit on certain episodes. And this is an episode that's just been handed to these two writers because they probably broke most of the story. Yeah. Um, and it's quite a good good story. It certainly is, yeah. So if they were the writers, who was behind the camera? <laughs> well, the director is a working director. You'll certainly recognize some of the credits that he's done before. David Semmel directed this episode. Um, he's worked on tons of great shows, uh, things like uh, Star Trek Discovery, which we absolutely loved, Hannibal, yeah. which I know we all absolutely love and want to go back to. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Man of the High Castle, another excellent show that we're watching through at the moment. But most notably for me, he was the director of the seminal two-part Halloween episode of the first season of American Horror Story. If you watched American Horror Story and you got to that Halloween episode, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. It kind of became a calling card for the show from that point onwards. This is how good the show can be. It's like a movie and it's so it's just absolutely brilliant. I try and watch it every couple of years um, because it's one of those ones that did actually scare me, uh, which doesn't happen very often when I watch TV. So well done, David Semmel. And he's got some pretty cool stuff in this episode. Yes. Yeah, definitely. He he has some really good uh, stuff in this. I think uh, I'm going to I'm going to mention them now. I think were you know that that close up of Angela's face and it, it moves to the windows. It almost looks like she's got really funky contact lenses <laughs> in. Um, and then as it sort of transitions to the courtroom inside the manor house with um, the the trial of Adrian Veidt oh, by yes. his clones. Yeah, um, stained glass window eyes are cool. Yeah, really that was cool. very, very cool. That really strikes me as something out of the comic book. There's something in the comic book where they do some kind of, not transition like that, but they're focusing on somebody's stained glass eyes. Um, I, I'm trying to remember now, but, uh, but very cool. Yeah, I think that and right at the start with the the intercutting between sort of different images that uh, the young Angela is sort of flashbacking to Mm -hmm. in black and white, along with the present day Victory in Vietnam Day celebrations uh, just before the explosion. And this bike bell that's ringing and sort of getting more intense and that the cuts are increasing in frequency. And mm-hmm. that is, that was awesome. I really, really enjoyed that. It really ramped up the tension before Absolutely. the explosion. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that uh, thing that Christopher Nolan used in Dunkirk. where just escalating the sound over and over again. To oh, make in the, the trailer. Ramp up. And no, and in the movie itself, the, the music was continually yeah. ramping up and up just to increase your tension, which is just like the spell is getting more and more intense to, so you really feel that bomb is coming, you know? Yeah, yeah, and let's be honest, the the overall, no one likes a bike bell. If you're a bike <laughs> bell person, just don't use it, please. <laughs> well, sometimes they have to use it to stop cars from running them over in the streets, Chris. <laughs> ah, maybe they deserve it, but who knows? Ah, uh, now. So those were the directors and the writers, but do you want to tell us what they gave us, John? Sure. Under Lady True's care, Angela undergoes an unconventional treatment while Agent Blake chases down a lead. Elsewhere, the smartest man in the world delivers a stunning defense of his past actions. <laughs> yes, one that probably, maybe it's an SBD, silent but deadly, uh, takes out all the clones. Who knows? It could be noxious vapors. But, it certainly uh, wasn't silent. It was a great uh, fart joke. It was. It was. It certainly wasn't silent. And I think he was kind of leaving his past behind him, will we say? Uh, yeah, let, let's just say that. <laughs> I, I think I could be a very good defense attorney <laughs> on the basis of that. The defense rests, yes. <laughs> or about ah. Brussels sprouts all the way. The defense <laughs> relaxes. Exactly. Ah. Uh, it was that, that yeah, that, that's definitely a defense. And, um, I'm curious to see what will happen from it. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did he actually ingest a micro, microbial, like actual gaseous, uh, death cloud <laughs> that could only be released in a specific way at a specific time? Who knows? You're taking all my points, guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my I'm goodness. Sorry. <laughs> Fellow watchers, I, I think Derek has just rested his defense as well. <laughs> I might. Oh my God. I know, the, the podcast booth is going green. I oh, know. <laughs> but I think it's our time we get in and discuss those points before we take them all from Derek. Um, <laughs> so, Hark 
Is that a clock I hear ticking? The doomsday clock has been set to five minutes to midnight. Yes, we're back with our five minutes to midnight. So, gentlemen, I'm because I'm in control of this episode, I'm going to take the first point. And I'm going to call mm-hmm. this the history of Angela A. Um, yeah, this a majority of this episode is giving us the the uncut history, if you will, of um, Angela. How she became Sister Knight, or how she at least... Not how she became Sister Knight. Why she wanted to become a police officer. Um, we... Uh, we understood and knew a lot of these points in that she grew up in Vietnam. We knew that their parents had died. We knew that she had become a police officer. Um, mm-hmm. So this is just the explanation. This is rounding out the rationale of why. And I really enjoyed it. I really thought they... You could have just shown this in a five-minute clip, 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 clip. Um, mm-hmm. But they they really did it in such a unique way to show that, okay... She became Sister Knight because of a black exploitation, ultra violent kind of film from her childhood that she never got to watch. Exactly, yeah, and and I love her description of why she chose that film because she lives in Vietnam, surrounded by people that don't look like her, and when she sees the cover of this ultra violent movie about the nun with the mother gun, uh, it's cool that she's going. Well, that looks like me, and now it does in the future as she is now absolutely that character um as she's taken on the persona of sister knight uh, i just thought it was a really cool little tie-in um because it completely subverted the expectations right we, we totally thought it was going to be something to do with the orphanage that she went into after her parents died that she was taking care of nuns there or something like that other way around actually that the nuns were taking care of her <laughs> and that they informed her and that's why she was wearing the outfit you know we absolutely thought that's the way it was going to go so interesting that it was from this video that apparently she goes every week to try and rent out and the poor shopkeeper has to keep taking her money off her and giving the money back to her over and over again every week as her parents deny her watching this movie so and eventually that's the only thing she has left after her parents have been killed it's and again it's actually seeing and understanding now why her parents are killed or how they were killed i should say not why Mm -hmm. we now know it was the revolutionaries uh against the um the holding the guerrilla warfare if you will um, people, mm-hmm. the Vietnamese being against America, um, as the gentleman yells, death to the invaders. Um, mm-hmm. so now we know and how her parents died. Um, but it was quite, a, it's an interesting one as well, how, why her dad didn't let her watch Sister Night. Um, yeah. because of the mask, um, because he believed people who wore masks, um, had things to hide. Um, yeah. which is just, it was again, an interesting thing to see, uh, how that mm-hmm. portrayed out and how it didn't fully connect over to her. Um, later on, we do find that, uh, the grandmother, June, June's back. June is in mm-hmm. Vietnam to collect her, uh, poor June. Um, yeah. and she explains why. And we, she explains that whole, um, piece going, he was wrong about, people wearing masks because the last person who wore a mask around him did hurt him and that's why he believes scared, it. Him. scared exactly. him yeah yeah exactly there's some great stuff with the june moment in here and definitely uh so much sadness in angela's life as well you know more than anything else that moment where it's almost like a disney movie the grandmother arrives from another country to go and claim her granddaughter to bring her back to this wonderful country of tulsa where she's be she'll be surrounded by people who are just like her unlike the way she's living in vietnam and it's a lovely moment between the two of them and then just before 
she goes off to the airport and in the taxi, her mother has her grandmother has a heart attack behind the cab and she's left once again alone in the world. You know, um, I loved the positioning of the Dr. Manhattan mural right behind her. as She looks over the dead body of her grandmother and it's got murder painted on it in uh, in what looks like blood, effectively in blood on his hands. You know, it's all of these connections that are coming out between what's going on in Vietnam and her being stuck there effectively with nobody to save her. Um, which I just I loved in this episode. I think there's some really good touches there. Yeah, it was really good. I I thought a really nice telling moment was when the the two Saigon police officers come to the orphanage uh, for her to identify the person um, who had passed the cyclist the bag with the explosives, mm-hmm. and you know she gives a positive ID, and then the police officer says you know, go back in as her colleague is taking the guy off to be shot, effectively executed there on the spot. Uh, And uh, Angela just says, you know, can I stay? Um, like she doesn't watch it, but she wants to stay around to to hear it. You exactly, know? she knows exactly what's going to happen as well. I don't think she has any doubt that this guy is going to get killed for being implicated in this. Um, she's asked by the by the police officer, you know, are, are you scared? And she's like, I'm not scared of this. I know this is yeah. the guy that did it, and she wants her vengeance. That's why she's given the badge from the police officer saying. You're a strong kid. Come look me up when you're old enough to become a police officer. Yeah. Effectively. So I thought that was Very really, good. really, um, really good. Yeah. Really good moment. I really liked it as well when June arrives and she asks what belongings that Angela has and she hands over the, the, the police badge, the Saigon police force badge straight off. And I think, um, June's face there is just really, uh, telling as well. Just the, the idea, you know, like, uh, granddaughter, like, grandfather kind mm-hmm. of thing um, and become a police officer yeah. well, of course you are exactly <laughs> yeah. and i i thought that was uh I, I thought there were some really nice touches uh in this whole thing uh with with angela and her backstory yeah absolutely there's one other great line i think from uh june as well where she describes what happened between herself and her son and what happened with their relationship where she says he chose to put on the uniform and go and fight she doesn't describe it as he joined the u.s army and and went and fought in the vietnam war she describes it almost exactly the way that she fell out with her husband because yeah. he decided to put on a uniform, the Hood of Justice outfit, and go out and fight uh, criminals on the street, effectively the KKK. Um, so I do love that she has chosen those words to describe it. And I love that as you see all the flashbacks and connections between Will's story going on in Angela's mind, you know, you see the the Vietnamese guy that had handed over the backpack, you see him getting the bag put on his head and dragged off and she instantly makes the connection between that and Hudda Justice, her grandfather, you know? Um, so once again, kind of saying, you know, that line about one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. Yep. Well, you know, they're in the land of Vietnam and have taken it from the Vietnamese and and, and put made it part of the states of the US. There's a lot of people in Vietnam that don't like that. Yeah, and I, I think also it's that idea of you know, who, whoever it is that has the mask on, depending on those those cultural uh, phobias or racial phobias, whether it's a, deemed as being a hero or a threat or a menace or something like that. I think the other good thing about these flashbacks to Angela's memories is that it's all getting caught up as well with this detoxifying of her body of uh, Will's uh, memories that are still in there after the nostalgia. So even 
around some of the police elements. Mm-hmm. You you suddenly get a black and white flashback to him uh, being sort of inducted into the New York Police Department, and I thought that was a really nice touch as well, where you've got these these two memories now floating around as her as her own memories are coming back to her, and and wills are being sort of taken out of her system by by Lady True's uh, medical treatment as well. I thought that was really uh, a good touch, mm-hmm. but it's also poignant flashbacks to to Will's memory Absolutely. as well that kind of connect him with her own. Uh, so I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we'll touch on more of the the the, the memories uh, as we kind of go through our, our next points. But John, what was one of your top moments for this episode? Oh, it's hammer time, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was um, Cal being given a really big headache by by Angela. Um, I just. You know, it was just that horror moment where she stood in the kitchen with the hammer in her hand and Cal is kind of going, Angela, is everything okay? Yeah. What's up? You know, this idea that she's been possessed almost. Um, and of course, then you, you get the, the, the violent, um, smackdown from, <laughs> from Angela on Cal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, but it, you know, releasing, so many answers from his little head um <laughs> as she breaks it open and of course that was pretty um pretty bloody pretty visceral as she keeps sort of uh sort of banging the hammer against his head but um what a great moment just with sort of the the atom symbol coming out and you get get that that blue uh haze coming into the room and she goes hiya john you know and you know it's that moment that revelation of angela living with both cal um and then with dr manhattan uh, and you know maybe we should have just seen the breadcrumbs uh, a bit sooner you know we we've, we've known that cal had an accident in vietnam mm-hmm. almost the same way that john osterman had the accident in the chamber that turned him into dr manhattan yeah uh, but effectively dr manhattan is keeping cal alive it would seem yeah. that whatever accident it was killed cal and and john has kept him alive hiding in plain sight in tulsa as a human uh, and you have that moment just before um uh, as angela leaves um from lady true's facility and the big time clock where lady true is saying do, do you not want to know who um who Dr. Manhattan is, mm-hmm. you know, leading to this this great moment at the the A-Bar family residence. So I, I, I really like this. I thought it, you know, obviously massive um, answer and revelation, yep. but uh, really good. And we get the little hint of the 7th Cavalry waiting and watching outside of their house as well Absolutely. after everything that went before. So uh, th- th- this, was, this was superb. Mm-hmm. There's so much tied into it as well. I'm not too sure which bits we get to talk about here and which, and which we don't. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There are, once again, loads of little breadcrumbs leading up to this from the beginning of the show, effectively. Um, questions again, you know, did she have a relationship with Cal? And then Cal died, and then she made an arrangement with Dr. Doctor Manhattan to effectively keep him alive for longer. But she seems to talk to Dr. Manhattan as if he's another lover. She, she says, hey, baby, we're in a lot of trouble here in that final scene, effectively. So you don't know whether who had the relationship first. Um, she says to Cal, this was all your idea. Um, so she knew him before he had the accident and effectively died. Um, but yeah, massively brutal moment uh, in there. Um, we know the plan of the Seven Cavalry is to trap 
Dr. Manhattan kill him and get his powers effectively. So they followed Angela to the house because they know she has Dr. Manhattan, I guess. That's they that's what they are aware of. Yeah. So where are they getting all this information and who who has all this information? Lady True seems to know as well that uh, she has a connection to Dr. Manhattan too. So lots of interesting stuff. Yeah. Um so I have a couple of theories on this. Um I mm-hmm. literally think uh Cal and Dr. Manhattan, John Osterman are the same person. Um, essentially, uh, at a certain point, uh, Angela met uh, Dr. Manhattan in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, they developed a friendship, a relationship. Um, but uh, Dr. Manhattan was like, I know you will never be able to, I know we will never be able to have a normal life um, with me as a big, blue, glowy man. Mm-hmm. Um, so the personality of Cal, the, uh, the backstory of Cal was created. And basically the accident is when they inserted this, um, uh, the atom symbol that blocked his powers, that c- made him flesh, if you right. will. And that was the accident. And okay. because she goes, Hey baby. So I think yeah. it is very much, they are those, the same person they are the same thing it's just right basically the cal is the personification of the of dr manhattan minus the the powers it is right that is that relationship that 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 basically uh, i don't think there was a cal before and then dr manhattan oh, made okay. the agreement i think it's the same thing um right and, and I, on my side i'm definitely feeling the cal was a human being and had an accident, and Manhattan put himself inside Cal and kept him alive. Um, that's why she has to kill him to take him out, but that was the arrangement. That was the deal, is what I think uh, has happened here. Um, I did. Well, I, that's definitely not enough information in this episode to make a definite yeah. determination either way, but I know what you mean. It could possibly be one or the other. I think the reason why I'm saying that is because they like to say things on the show and keep them, and in the first episode we hear Dr. Manhattan can't disguise himself as human, but here we're kind of finding that he's hiding inside a human is what it feels like. So he's not actually walking around as a human. He's walking around inside a human. It's it's a kind of their fluff to get around the the possibility that Dr. Manhattan could be on Earth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I thought something similar, but it was just the fact that it's the the symbol that kind of like she had to take that out in order for mm-hmm. it to for him to appear. Plus, I don't think she would have. I don't think she would have been able to kill her husband again just to save Dr. Manhattan. Like, there would have been more to it. Like, it would have been, I'm so, I don't want to do this, but we have to get you out. Like, it would have been more to that, to her in order. Maybe. I just, anyway, let's, let's, I, we'll definitely, we know we're going to get more in episode eight. Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I just feel maybe Angela has always been prepared that this moment will come. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so we will we will see, but it was quite brutal. Uh, Big time, and definitely fingers inside a forehead yeah. and inside the brain to pull out this uh, the Doctor Manhattan atom symbol, effectively yeah. uh, to have her communication with him. Uh, very interesting, yeah, yeah. But every time I now see it, I just hear hammer time. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't know that it wasn't even the same right time. No, I, I don't think it was. Your your musical genius uh, strikes again, Chris. I literally do this so we don't get DCMA'd. Uh, digital, uh, <laughs> was it DCMA? Uh, digital Music uh, Copyright Act. Copy. 
Digital Digital Materials Copyright Act. DCMA uh, basically is a strike where they they come after you for basically (laughs) using music in a podcast or things like that. I basically make up and mix songs. So basically I'm saving us a lawsuit. That is all. Not because I am musically challenged. Yes. (laughs) Well, it may be a little column A and column B. Okay, let's say a lot of column B, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. But one thing I will say about this episode, it does show us why uh, Yehi Abdul-Mateen took this role as Cal. We were always questioning, because the the actor was in quite a huge movie. He was in Aquaman last year, you know, quite a massive film to be in. And then suddenly he's in a TV show. Like, I know there's a huge draw to being on a HBO show, but he effectively was just the guy sitting at home, occasionally bouncing an idea off um angela Barr's character and then nothing you get nothing from him at all but you can imagine that meeting where he goes i'd like to be in your show but i don't really know what it's about um well let's put it this way dr manhattan lives inside your brain and you're gonna have a scene where your wife beats you to death on the carpet and takes dr manhattan out of your brain oh i'm up for that yeah exactly (laughs) very cool i i think there's gonna be one thing i just want to put it out there all the books he was reading Mm -hmm. is another easter egg i'm pretty sure well, I was laughing because it was because <laughs> I'd seen the episode once, and then the second time I watched it, I watched it with John, um, and I was laughing that the book that Cal is reading on the couch this time is for whom the bell tolls, yeah. and yes, the bell tolled for him five yes, minutes exactly. later yeah. as he was smacked in the head with a uh, with a hammer. So yes, um, I think there is some connection. There. A little on the nose, or dare I say, it, on, on the, the head yes. with a hammer. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to end up probably talking more again about this as we keep going through. But uh, Derek, what was mm-hmm. your biggest point? For this episode. My biggest point, really, I have to talk about is Adrian Weiss, because we've been wondering what's going on with him. And I love how they specifically call it out this time. Remember, we've been joking on the feedback episodes about the fact that there's a year apart between all of Adrian Weiss scenes. They start off the scene by going, it's been 365 days of this trial, just in case you didn't know from the other six episodes. We've had a year apart between all of these episodes. I thought that was quite fun. Um, One of the things that really struck me about the prosecution here is if you listen hard enough, they're saying something really weird in the prosecution. What they're saying is, he kills us over and over again, he is a murderer, we all know that, and we can either choose to just continue to be murdered by this guy, or try him and find him guilty of the biggest thing in our world, which is he tried to escape. So if he hadn't tried to escape, they're saying we would continue to just sacrifice ourselves for whatever he wants to do with us. Yep. That How weird is that? Yeah, the, the, the rule of the law is... Mm-hmm. Just do not escape. Just don't escape. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, this is a weird one. Uh, definitely on the nose. The 365. I was like, okay, yeah, we. I know that. That's fine. But you've literally just spelt it out for people now. Yeah. And that's fine. Need to. <laughs> they, they need to. They Because, let's be fair, for us, it took quite a while. And it's only because we had listened to interviews and read mm-hmm. things and then went, oh, okay, now we get it. Um, exactly. They know they needed to definitely 100% call this out. Mm-hmm. But fascinating, once again, you know, we have the gamekeeper standing, uh, sitting as judge over this entire proceeding, effectively. And once again, all he is, is another Mr. Phillips. Yes. And that's all he is. He's just a Mr. Phillips with a moustache, basically. And a mask, of course, which is very important in this universe. But he doesn't look like he's anything special. I think a lot of people would have been seeing him the first time we saw him. We were seeing him from quite a distance. So he looked like he could be potentially Dr. Manhattan, for example. Um, But what we're seeing here is just another Mr. Phillips presiding over everybody, like everybody else in the room. The only difference is he can grow facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, can he? 
Or is that fake? <laughs> or is that just a put on fake? I literally, that's why right, my head was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a put on fake one. Could be. I mean, the whole Vite thing was massively uh, weird. You go from the, you know, you go from the prosecution giving this sort of nuanced uh, closing statement mm-hmm. to then the fart from Vite, which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> farts are always hilarious. Yeah, farts <laughs> are always hilarious. And then the pig court effectively uh you know the courtroom being invaded yeah. by by pigs um to give the judgment uh down on adrian Vite and ozymandias yeah and- well in fairness it is adrian Vite going i'm not even going to dignify this course with any kind of defense at all i can do whatever the hell i want to i'm i'm different being from you things that are created on this planet and serve at my whim. I'm not even going to defend myself in front of you is kind of the thing. And the court is saying, well, if you're not going to defend yourselves, we're not even going to give you a proper trial. <laughs> we're going to just bring in these pigs, exactly. which is what you're like to us kind of thing. Um, I love we also get that commentary about, you know, you kill all of us, but you also killed loads of costume heroes and three million humans, people just like you. Yeah. So they are saying we understand that you can kill us all you want because that's not part of the rules of this planet that we all live on. That's absolutely fine that you can kill all of us, but you kill three million humans, which is why you're here, effectively. I, I think the interesting thing as well was after the uh, prosecution lawyer had finished, she did turn to him and give a cheeky little wink. Initially, I was like, going, okay, that's a bit weird. What's going on here? Is there a plan afoot? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But also then just coupled with Lady True's revelation that she's waiting for her father to also come and see um, you know, this new dawn for humankind mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm kind of just there because it then floated back through to the statue of, of uh, adrian Veidt, ozymandias in lady true's um facility mm-hmm. then you're just like going okay is that the case is, is it just that sort of signpost that you should follow which is that adrian Veidt is her her father mm-hmm. Uh, or is this a signpost sending you down uh, a, a on a wild goose chase, effectively, or a wild pig chase, or, or you know, because <laughs> yeah, it, it was just really interesting that that moment. Absolutely, and what I do know is we're definitely going to be talking about that in our next set of points, right? Yes, you, yeah, yeah. Um, I I will just add, I think the wink wink nudge nudge was to do with this is his plan. This is almost right. part of his plan. That's what I, I took it as, not as a wink. You're you're a dead man. It's I can see this. He has manipulated one of the Mrs. Kutchanks, um, mm-hmm. uh, who he knew was going to be the prosecution. So he made her, um, his, uh, his inside woman, if you will. Um, on but even just simply that, it almost feels like a play because you know it doesn't feel like a real staging. It feels like another play that he's written for all of the members of his group to play parts in yeah it doesn't feel like it's actually any kind of um any kind of real courtroom setting we have all of them shouting guilty 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 at the end as they bring in the pigs but that feels like a play it doesn't feel like something true that actually happened if that makes sense yeah i, I i'm yeah. dying to see and know what happened i, I just think it's going to be over the top unique it's so strange to think that they have brought in jeremy irons for this who is fantastic mm-hmm. in the role but we're yeah. not going to see him interact with the other characters which unless it's going for uh, for one episode maybe 
And I think like, yeah, it's yeah, the last I, one. I feel like exactly as John has said, I think we are going to get Jeremy Irons back on Earth to finish off the show in this final episode. What keeps striking me is this was all done in five months in Wales before anything else was shot in the show. <laughs> it just feels so unusual and so different to the rest of the feeling in the show that it absolutely is something that makes me really excited about the idea of Jeremy Irons standing side by side with Regina King. You know, how are the two of them even going to interact as characters? They're so different as we've seen on screen here. They're both brilliant actors, but I mean, the two those two characters are so different. How do you put the two of them in the same screen together? Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's the quality of Jeremy Irons um, as well, being able to do to deliver a fart um you know a shakespearean fart mm -hmm. and a glance yes um i think because i mean you know that i i could imagine that there might be a lot of people just going what the hell mm -hmm. why is it suddenly descended into kind of fart and burp jokes you know tee -hee -hee. um <laughs> there's, there's a bit like that but you know he he does deliver that fart quite well that's brilliant it's brilliant the defense rests it's, it sounds like he's been waiting full 365 days to deliver that line well, at least the defence didn't follow through with another, <laughs> exactly, exactly. With, with another point. <laughs> well, let us follow through with another point. I hear a clock a ticking. Shark. <laughs> a sound. The doomsday clock has been set to four minutes to midnight. So, John, do you want to kick us off with your second point for this episode? Yeah, it, it's Professor Xavier, basically, or dare I say it, Professor uh, True and her kind of um her global mind and memory room um i just thought it was so so cool um and again it was thinking um you know back to uh total recall and sort of a memory of a lifetime that mm -hmm. uh you know angela touching this kind of interactive map being able to bring up all these different conversations happening in her telephone booths or all these people speaking to Dr. Manhattan. Um, and I, I thought this was really kind of, I just thought it was so cool. Just the, the blackness, the darkness of the room and this sort of blue sphere mm -hmm. in, in the middle with, with Angela at it, touching it, listening to people, you know, we get to see agent Blake and her conversation to uh, Dr. Manhattan. Actually one question about that. Is that a slightly different cut of what we saw, Agent Blake? I just don't remember her saying that sometimes it helps to pretend like this is real. I don't remember her saying that line in the original episode. I think it was a separate take. I don't think we just had seen her kind of break on that call. We'd seen her being very strong as it kept coming back and she kept telling the joke. I just don't remember her actually breaking down with that moment of, why am I making these calls to you? You never even had a sense of humor anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, sometimes it feels nice to have it real. It does make Lady True out to be a complete bitch to me, though, because it feels like <laughs> she installed these thousands and thousands of phones around the world and is going, you tell God what you want from him. And then she's just letting them all appear in her office and she's just listening along to them going, Haha, these idiots asking this God to to give them whatever they want. And all it's going to is my office here. <laughs> Isn't it hilarious? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I thought it was really it was just really well done i think as well you know is the blue world is that something manhattany um is it that lady true knows that dr manhattan well she does she knew you know she she gives angela the revelation or at least um frightens angela to death because her secret's out exactly. that she knows that dr manhattan is living as a human in tulsa mm -hmm. um hence the the hammer time but 
you know, it, it, it's, you know, and that the weight of, of Lady True and her knowledge and her, dare I say it, her tentacles, I think, um, it is just really interesting mm-hmm. here. Um, and again, like she's got the nostalgia. So everything is about collecting people's personal information. Exactly. Um, and, and, and utilizing that, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a way that, furthers the goals that she's got and and the plan that she has yeah and so i i I thought this was a really um good little moment um for me it it opened up lady true Mm -hmm. and what she was doing uh more so with with this new clock this new edifice for the new world Mm -hmm. um it also shows how deeply knowledgeable and embedded she is into everybody's lives uh, through her different technologies, Mm -hmm. through her different pharmaceuticals and all this kind of stuff. And I I thought it was um, great. I I love that moment as well where Angela's like saying, well, whose memories are you slipping to your daughter Mm -hmm. uh, at that moment that we find out that actually, yeah, yeah. Well, that's at someone else's point. Uh, but, exactly. uh, so say it. Just but know. what I did like, and I just wanted to jump in because I love the idea that Lady True has set up a social network around the world and is collecting personal information and personal data that she can use against those people. Like what a great little commentary on a world that doesn't have massive technology like the way we have now, computers and phones in everybody's pocket. It's actually they have to walk out and use a call phone to call God and tell them what they want, and that information is being transported to the kajillionaire that is lady true and she's using that information against everybody in a way we'll talk about that in a second because i have an idea for her plan okay uh, in future one thing i did want to just say because it's been going on in my mind just since you were talking about possibly adrian veit being her father john yeah do you remember we were questioning what that message he wrote on the planet was help me and we said maybe doctor or maybe dan or maybe dr manhattan maybe it's help me daughter Yep. Yes. Was the message that he was writing. Help me daughter. He did know that that she had all of those satellites out in the sky because he's her father. That's why she got the business from him. That's why she has all the knowledge. That's why she's doing the things that he would be doing because maybe he's her father. So uh, interesting stuff from this episode, I think. Again, I'm getting a sense of that this is part of a massive grand plan um, that Mm -hmm. in Vietnam, Chu and Dr. Manhattan um, worked together they made the deal, okay. which is, or right, we're we're gonna start a plan to bring the world back to whatever, whatever we want it to be, okay. right? like better. Um, her dad was against her, so Doctor uh-huh. Manhattan sent him to the moon, a moon. Okay. Um, yep. Chu took over. Moon of Jupiter. Yeah. Sorry, a moon of Jupiter. You're correct. Uh, and then mm-hmm. uh, Chu took over, and that's when when Ozymandias went missing. Um, this yep. is again four years ago, and the deal was: I want to be a human being again. I want to be normal, and that was so. She created the 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 cloaking device that keeps his, his basically gives him a human body, allows him to be human. Okay. Um, she knew he was in Tulsa because she knew who he was. They would have all been in Vietnam around the same time. Okay, so if you think about it, like Angela would have been there when. Lady True was there. Absolutely, but doesn't Angela question Lady True as to why she knows that piece of information and she says that Will Reeves told her. So she only knows that Dr. Manhattan is here because Will Reeves gave that information to Lady True is what she's saying. What I'm wondering about actually, and Chris, you're you're bringing up a good point. I'm wondering if her public face is almost saying, I'm connected with Dr. Manhattan 
Yeah. Because that's what the world wants someone in big business to be connected with is God, effectively. So she's saying, I'm connected with him, when actually privately she's connected with Adrian Veidt. So she's been trying to get her father back from space and wherever Dr. Manhattan trapped her father to bring him back to Earth. Oh, now, yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually a, bad, that's a, that's a better one. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah. and But it's also that Will Reeves has come back or is there to warn Lady True uh, that the Seventh Cavalry, that this white supremacist group uh, is looking to capture Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. and, and effectively uh, become Dr. Manhattan in their own right. Um, because her plan is to save the world from themselves. And that is absolutely thematically similar to Adrian Veidt in um, the original 12 issues. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's definitely um, that family resemblance in terms of the aims and objectives but it the question for me is then well how does will know uh how is will getting his information Mm. of future stuff um having not gone to the future or has he and that could be the other thing here i mean how does he i mean he he's probably watched angela from afar but you know, is that intimately that he knows that this thing went down with her and Dr. Manhattan yeah. and with Cal or ha- whatever the arrangement is. So all of a sudden as well, it's just adding layers of mystery uh, around Will Reeves. Or is he in fact an elephant? <laughs> Maybe he is, but <laughs> that was the definitely a moment I was going, is it? Is he an elephant? Um, yeah, one of the things elephant (laughs) i did make this theory earlier on in the series and was completely wrong about it that will reeves possibly is has some involvement within the the seventh cavalry potentially what we have seen now is will reeves did hide as a white man to hide his identity over the years perhaps he's doing that again under a different mask with the rorschach mask perhaps he has used the rorschach mask and his face coloring um cover that he used as hooded justice to get information out of this group, the Seventh Cavalry, maybe that's how he's getting it. Yeah, don't know. I, I think that I there's so <laughs> much to this. We're, we're, this. I'll get into it my wrap up, but we've got a two hours mm. left in this season. I know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, where you go with this? Because I'm so excited. And as, answer, riddle me this: Have we confirmed okay. a season two? There is no season with two. Batman. <laughs> there is no season two confirmed yet, and in fact, Demon Lindelof has specifically said he's written this season to close out like the 12 issues of Watchmen, which, remember, has never truly been followed up yeah. by anybody. There's been, never been a sequel to Watchmen. This is the sequel to Watchmen, and he's saying, I've written nine episodes, and once those nine episodes are done, that's the end of this story that I want to tell. So rumors have it that if he's coming back and if he's going to do something else in the Watchmen universe, we may not see any of these actors again. Uh, in the show, it may be like an American Horror Story kind of thing, where it's in a completely different area with de- different actors and different characters um if he does come back and does a second season so yes because that's what i had heard as well which is i think mm-hmm. we probably had you have probably told me you probably that. heard it from me yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah because so i'm like okay he's got two hours to wrap this all up mm-hmm. and i'm like there's a lot to wrap up in two hours um but it's definitely going to be interesting because yeah. I, I i think let's Derek, let's talk about the elephant in the room, because that kind of more leads into what we're talking about here. Okay, okay, grand. <laughs> we're going to jump to my my point, because it is, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, 
One of the things that obviously jumps to my mind when I see an elephant there, because it was, firstly, it was like, is that Will Reeves? Is he a shapeshifter? No, that's not possible. That's not that's not in this world, obviously. But elephants do have a connection with memory, right? Yeah. There is that idea that an elephant never forgets is the is the concept, yeah. right? The, so, and the elephant um, uh, graveyard where all they all know where to go to mm-hmm. be with their kinfolk and exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. Or to elephant folk. Elephant folk, exactly. Uh, similar to like uh, salmon going back up the river to where they were born, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And also the thing you might have noticed in this episode for the first time, because there's an elephant on screen, I noticed it, that the true symbol, the symbol for true industries is actually an elephant. It's a T with tusks. So I didn't notice that until this episode. Um, ah, nice. Yeah. yeah so, so another idea. So this led me to my lady true theory. What is she doing with that clock that all it does is tick tock tell the time? What is it that she wants to do? And I think it is an Adrian Vite like plan where in 85, Adrian Veidt created this squid to drop on New York, kill three million people, so everybody would be focused on, oh God, a threat from space, we need to all band together. Well, I think Lady True has realized that the reason people don't band together is because people remember what things were like beforehand. And I think this clock will turn on, the TikTok will go, and everybody's memories will go with it. And this will be the first standing monument of the new generation because nobody remembers any monuments beforehand what do you think i i think you're onto something i think yeah it's i don't know if it'll be that exactly but i think that's uh, along the lines of memory and forgetting because she does when she talks about uh nostalgia and the problems with Mm -hmm. nostalgia was that she gave this so that people could um essentially relive the best parts uh, or mm-hmm. help them, um, but all they do, and she discusses it, and we had known this from the Pedopedia files, that mm-hmm. essentially people used it to just live in the past and relive their worst, de- de- the worst moments of their life. Yeah, as if they would change if they kept repeating the same yes. mistakes over and yeah. over again. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that the definition of madness is doing the same action and expecting a different outcome, right? Yep. So this is what she's thinking. This is people are going mad because they're only focused on the bad things that happen. If we wipe all that for everybody, no matter who they are, and start the whole world again, hit the reset clock effectively, start the whole thing again, will that now solve all of the world's problems because there's no baggage that everybody's carrying into their daily lives? Yeah, and it's that that history history repeating Mm -hmm. um, that despite progress, it's like you default back because of, of this idea of the other or like from the feedback episode that weaponizing of nostalgia exactly. to what things used to be like uh, and so history repeats itself as we get another rise of fascism in mm-hmm. that sense now i know some of our fellow watchers don't listen to our feedback episodes what john's referencing there is um damon lindelof described their central concept for the season about the idea of weaponizing nostalgia what would it be like if nostalgia was used as a weapon in sometimes good way, sometimes bad way, people think of nostalgia as very good if they have good history. If they have a bad history, nostalgia and memories can bring up just bad things. So that was their central concept for the show. He, he mentions that it's about weaponizing nostalgia. So a really good point to bring that up. I do wonder if what we will see is because she has everyone's hopes and dreams and wishes from the mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan boxes, can she implant memories? Can she Maybe. implant? Basically, is her plan to give some people their ultimate desire? 
but that's what she's trying to do with her daughter slash uh, mother. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. which perfectly leads me on to this. Which, so my point was that the history of Bian May, mm-hmm. which is essentially she has cloned her mother um, and is basically bringing her mother back from the dead by slowly refeeding Bian May with her mother's memories so that she mm-hmm. can have her mother there on the day that she triumphantly kind of whatever her plan comes to be, that her mother yeah. is there. Um, so I think what we're getting at is that th- this is a multi-faceted, it's a multi-faceted evil plan. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, we've got something to do with memories. We've got all of the people's hopes and dreams, and she's got the ability to bring people back from the dead if they have used nostalgia and stuff like that. Um, so I'm curious. I, I think what we're getting at is this trifecta of or convergence of all these different little things which is obviously the reason we love great writing um because it's not just we're not getting a james bond explanation where it's literally the the evil villain is going to explain their master plan in one big fell Uh swoop just before our hero although we will be talking about one of those a little bit later on in the episode (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you're totally right you know we talked about at the beginning of this series you know how could some of these strands tie together and i do think regardless of some still complexity in the show. I certainly think that by episode seven here, we have almost every storyline converging and crossing over and starting to get to the point where we are realizing, and we hadn't, we weren't too far from this at the beginning, that it would be Lady True versus the Seventh Cavalry. It's laid out quite plain here that she's saying, this is the Seventh Cavalry plan, but if I get to pull off my plan before they do, then I save the world, right? So it absolutely feels like everything is converging together. Um, And, you know, with Angela at the center, as she should be, she's the star of the show, effectively, but she is right at the center. She's the one that could provide 7th Cavalry with Dr. Manhattan or could provide Lady True with the help she needs to complete her final plan. So although I'm not too sure whether she needs too much help, uh, we've only got four hours to go before this clock is set off, the Millennium Clock is set off. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I, th- I think it's going to be interesting. On the whole BMI part of mm-hmm. it, I'm just going to say one thing, which is that's weird. You've cloned uh-huh. your dead raising mo- your mother. <laughs> you cloned your dead mother, and you're uh-huh. essentially raising her as your daughter, but then implanting your daughter's your mother's memories into your daughter when she sleeps at night via IV drip. Yeah. I was like, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's a weird one. All right. Well, the fact that Bianca even describes it herself and says, I feel like an old woman and I wake up and I'm terrified. And we saw that. We saw her yeah. wake up absolutely terrified and go to what she thinks is her mother and tell her about this and, and then go, would you mind walking me back to my room because I'm really still scared, mom? And she's like, no, you go walk back yourself. Yeah. You know, she's not only feeding memories of her mother into this child effectively. She's also treating her like she shouldn't need to take care of her, basically. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's fascinating that you we we get this information, and um, but for me as well, it's all about as Angela asked, well, what about your father? Mm-hmm. And she goes, he's coming. So that's really intriguing. I mean, are we going to see Biamai sort of figure it out, understand it, mm-hmm. uh, react against it, or or whatever, or? You know what is going to happen here because it it, it does it, it's it's also very sycophantic and again that very much 
leads to an Ozymandias type of thing of Absolutely. I want my parents here to see my creation, right. what yeah. I am doing. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I think uh, having the family back together will be uh, pretty, pretty interesting. I Absolutely. Think. And I think uh, the dissertation that Bian is doing on the adaptive function of rage might come in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. When she realizes what's been happening. <laughs> uh, but gentlemen, Shark, is that a TikTok right here? The doomsday clock has been set to three minutes to midnight. You know, I genuinely don't think that any of our fellow watchers will understand where that came from. <laughs> Can I just explain it quickly? Yes, did you do. cut it out of the podcast? I don't know whether I did, but it was basically Chris mispronounced the word hark once. <laughs> I think he, called, he said tark or something completely by mistake, not a real word. And ever since, John has been slagging him about saying hark here comes the tiktok so both of them have just been coming up with words that rhyme with hark over i I, I think this one should be quark we should take a physics uh, god damn it that's even better impressive Impressive. so (laughs) fellow watchers quark is that a tiktok i hear (laughs) or the distant rumbling of a nuclear explosion (laughs) (laughs) okay we're back with our three minutes to midnight which are our final three small things we want to talk Mm -hmm. about john do you want to talk about yeah i i certainly do sorry i i want to talk about it so much i have just cut you off apologies for that (laughs) but it no but it's fine it's like because I literally want to do something when you say it, and I'm just going, go. I want to take Agent Blake. I think she's fabulous. Uh, I love her dry, droll humor. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the fact that she was dropped down a trapdoor. And dare I say it, uh, so what I put in my notes from one squid race to another, it's a trap. Door. Yes, the, the Admiral Akbar reference was just on point. Exactly. Notes, and I know our, our fellow watchers can't see mm-hmm. our notes. Maybe someday we might put them up. Maybe we <laughs> oh, won't we because they're really bad sometimes. <laughs> but it was just that. I was like, eh, from one squid to another, it's a trap door. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> the best Star Wars pun ever it, in It right was now. just, I, I loved the awkwardness of her dropping into the, through the trapdoor mm-hmm. um, with uh, Judd Crawford's wife um, go, uh, effectively going, well, yeah, you basically laid it on a plate. You know what we were going to do originally. And I think that's the great part about that. She just has that one word originally. She's then playing with the remote control, trying the four buttons. <laughs> Nothing's happening. And then you get the third button. It, it drops just partly. And you have Agent Blake going, uh, w- what's going on here? What are you, what are you doing? As she then <laughs> falls through. And it's the next time you see her, you know, she's tied up. You've got all the seventh cavalry sort of milling away, mm-hmm. uh, doing stuff to true equipment. Uh, lady true equipment or tri- true corp <laughs> equipment whether they're sort of modifying it or whether it has actually been supplied to them mm. because maybe um she is laying a trap for them because she seems to know what's about to happen mm. uh, so she's maybe there's something in that i don't know but you you have then um agent blake just kind of being and as we discussed before so are you going to tell me your entire plan here? You know, uh, what's going to happen as Senator Keane comes out, reveals himself here. Um, and I just thought, 
um, again, she was just like, oh, get on with it. Yeah. You know, I'm really tired. I uh-huh. just want you to kind of tell me the plan or just don't, don't bother. Um, like and her line of, you know, I know what happened. Yeah, your dad put you on your lap when you were a kid and then said you're going to be the leader of the biggest racist organization ever. I get it. Just get on with it. And then as I've got written in my notes, it eventually turns into Keen going, I'm not racist. I'm just a white supremacist. As if there's something better about being a white supremacist versus a racist. Oh, no, nothing wrong with all of those other races as long as we're better than them. You know, he's disgusting. He's a despicable man and thinks this is okay and thinks he should be in possession of Dr. Manhattan's powers and take over the world effectively. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely evil villain right here. But you have this whole, you know, kind of really dry humor from Agent Blake. But again, it connects to um, that final word from Jud Crawford's wife of originally as Senator Keane uh, talks about, we're, I'm, we're going to have a blue one. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this idea that they are going to trap, um, <laughs> well, yeah, um, they're, they're going to trap Dr. Manhattan, destroy him and recreate him through Senator Keane. So originally it was just to put him in the presidency and now it is to put him in the ascendancy, you know, to be a divinity, uh, a god, um, and one that is a white supremacist, mm-hmm. um, which is just terrifying. You know, with with all the sort of dry humor of these engagements with Agent Blake, which I absolutely love, you know, you, you have a nice through line here leading to a fairly awful suggestion from Senator Keane, mm-hmm. um, who hopefully... We'll just get disintegrated. Yeah, I loved. I loved this. This this seems to be just a, a, a take and a slag on the James Bond piece, yeah. which is just like the everything from the trap door. She's like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, you got it right," and she's just pressing the button. Like, <laughs> who has a trap door in their living room? That's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> but Agent Blake should have kind of stood up at some point. And uh-huh. kind of, okay, hold on, what are you doing? But it wasn't. It was just like, okay, she's going to fall through the trap door. Well, I know, like, I know Agent Blake's really good at guessing stuff, but would you have guessed that you're sitting in, this, in the center of this <laughs> lovely, you know, normal house, quite a rich person's home, obviously? Would you expect that the button that she's pressing isn't just turning on the television or something, you know? Um, you're telling me you haven't got a trap door in your front room? <laughs> Not yet, but don't tell me. Sure, your drawing room. It would have been the drawing room <laughs> That's at that true. point. <laughs> I, I just found this hilarious. Yeah. I, this for me was just the the... The pinnacle of it, which is, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna give away our, our master plan. And Agent Blake is just like, I don't give a shit. Just, yeah. right, get to it. Come on. Just let's, let's go. I've, I've had so many super villains, quote unquote, do this to me and tie me up and explain their master plans. I don't care. Let's just get to it. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? What, what is happening? Um, and I think that, that, that's a nice take on as well. What we as, the viewers are kind of getting which is like we always get that villain monologue um when they have trapped the one of the heroes in a precarious situation and the villain will explain their master plan mm-hmm. and we're like well we actually already know the master plan so we don't need to hear it again exactly um so yeah, yeah, let's just just skip to it. Absolutely, and and also you know similarly to to what I was talking about earlier on with Yehe as to why he would be in the show playing the character of Cal Francis Fisher, also a very well known actress. She was in Titanic. Yeah. She was in The Expanse. She's got a really good resume of movies and TV shows. And all the way through the show, it's like, 
oh, well, she's just playing the wife and she just has to say a couple of things about her husband being dead. Why is she, why would they pick someone like her in this show? And it's for that evil mastermind moment. She must have gone, that's brilliant. Yeah. I really want to do that moment where I get to press the button, knock someone into a trapdoor and go, do you want me to just kill him? You know? <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. You don't just expect it from her at all. So uh, yeah, really good moment for her. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to kind of jump, for, bring in my point here as well, which was that kind of from president of the US to doctor of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, this for me is one of the interesting parts here, which is that the transference, their master plan is the transference of Dr. Manhattan's powers. Mm. So I'm interested to see if, um, how this plays in with Cal. So I am also understanding that you, you think that Dr. Manhattan was maybe potentially helping inhabit Cal and keeping him alive. Mm-hmm. Potentially that is something that is, but it, like, because this is the transference, I want to know why they think this transference of power, or is it the recreation? Uh, yeah, I thought of... it was the recreation, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought that too, but there was a couple of words and lines that started talking about almost transference ah, of okay. power. Um, so I'm wondering if... That's a kind of, we're going to have one or two things, which is they're going to trap Dr. Manhattan and transfer his powers to Senator Keane, or it's actually, no, we're going to recreate the accident down to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, the recreation is the, the interesting part, because if it's a recreation, you would assume people have been trying that since the 80s. Um, since everyone knows how Dr. Manhattan was born, Absolutely. it is in a documentary. Yep back in the Vietnam video store mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Over the next so, 10 hours, we will find out all about yes. Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, it's absolutely known. We've seen it on the show as well. Remember, we also saw it created in the play by Adrian Veidt. So these are things that they're definitely underlining for people who've never read the comic book, that this is how Dr. Yep. Manhattan was created. Um, we know that's how Adrian Veidt tried to kill him. Uh, in yep. the comic books, he tried to kill Dr. Manhattan by recreating the accident. And Dr. Manhattan just goes, well, that was the first way I learned how to piece myself back together. So that can't kill me effectively. So will the 7th Cavalry make the same mistake, try and kill him by using the original experiment? And actually, well, sorry, that's not how you kill Dr. Manhattan. because, Or will they reverse it, possibly? Spreading his uh, his powers among among all of them, you know, or just, or are they putting it all on Keen? You know, I don't know at the moment. So that's what I'm kind of thinking, which is it's a transference thing. Mm-hmm. That's where it's just like they will trap him and transfer his power into Senator Keen. Mm-hmm. Um, which why it's why as well. I don't think that they transfer he tra- his powers were transferred or he was transferred into Cal. Mm. I don't think that's it because Cal has no memories and no powers. Yeah. But yeah. um Senator Keen is along the lines of I will have power, I will have the 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 everything of Dr. Manhattan. So that's kind of where I'm yeah. like, okay, I think they're gonna try and turn Senator Keen into a big blue guy. But we will see yeah. because I think that as we said we are barreling towards the end uh of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek, do you have any last point? Yes, I do. And I think it's a reasonably important one, or at least it was, because we had an entire episode focused on Looking Glass. And the episode ended with the 7th Cavalry coming to attack. Um, Agent Petey is the one that turns up and finds the 7th Cavalry did attack and did try to kill Looking Glass, but every single one of them is dead. All with Rorschach masks on their face, except for one, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> 
where's Looking Glass is the big question, right? I presume he's going to take um, matters into his own hands, uh, to take the vigilanteism that he has inside of him out on the 7th Cavalry. That's why he didn't report it to the police. I love the piece he calls that out as well, goes, this guy's a police officer, right? Why wouldn't he have called in the police on this situation? Well, he's obviously found out quite a bit about what's been going on from that video from Keane. He knows the police are corrupt because they were led by someone in league with Keane, and he probably knows what plan they're trying to carry out as well. Uh, That video of Adrian Weiss is significantly longer than the one or two minutes that we saw on screen. He was there for a long time watching the full video, so maybe he knows the full plan. So your question, obviously, for this, and I just wanted to make sure that we talked about it here, the question really at the episode is, is Looking Glass taking on the Rorschach mask to go and beat up? the members of the Seven Cavalry, or has he officially joined them effectively? Did he just kill these guys and now he's gone to join them? <laughs> I don't know. I'm presuming he's probably pretty angry if he killed all these guys and took a mask. I, I presume he's not going to join them, but uh, that is a possibility as well. Yeah. Uh, so this was a weird one for me. It's just, again, like we've, we wanted to know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. We were expecting to get the view and we just kind of basically saw the aftermath, which was a bit... Okay. Um, my assumption is he's taken the mask and is back working. He's currently there mm-hmm. with um, Laurie. Exactly. He, he's there in mask, incognito, mm-hmm. where he's not, like, it's not really incognito because, yeah, like they, they, they're going to hear his voice and know he's not Bob or because the guy he took it off <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the one of the masks he took it off no offense it was one of the bigger beefier guys right, right. um so it's just kind of like what's he gonna go oh yeah well um all the other guys are dead i'm the only one survived and we just i left i left looking glass's body there well in fairness chris you know the premise of the entire show is that people who wear masks don't reveal their identity even some police officers don't know the names of the other police officers. Yeah. You have Angela Angela leaving Lady True's place and she goes, Hey, Jen, tell Scare to get out of the way. She calls her pirate Jenny. She calls her Jenny and she tells Red Scare to get out of the way. It's only the three of them there. She could call them by their real names, but chooses to call them by their vigilante names, I guess you call them, or their police officer names. It's probably the same with Seven Cavalry. You're wearing a Rorschach mask over your face to protect your identity. And maybe the people around you don't know that you're Bob or Fred and there's nothing different about the masks to distinguish them either. They don't have, you know, Bob tattoos yeah, on the top. I, I, I think, but it's going to get hard to be like, "Hey, you! No, no, not you! Not you, 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 you! You, you and no, the other you! No, yeah, the Rorschach mask. No, the guy with more white than black. No, the, the <laughs> other guy with the black. No, hey, hey, left, go. No, I'm pointing at you right now. Okay, stand to the left. Okay, you, mm-hmm. you, can you go get me a coffee, please? Well, I, I, I think <laughs> there's two points on this as well for me. One is that Agent Blake mentions it to Crawford's wife um, about you get the police to wear a mask, the perpetrators are wearing a mask, and before mm-hmm. you know it, you don't know who's who. Nobody you have who is, yeah. 7th Cavalry in in the police, you have police in the 7th Cavalry, um, and I think as well, maybe, you know, the, the next two episodes, given we have what... We have that moment of the countdown here in in this episode of mm-hmm. of four hours. Yeah, that uh, time will begin to uh, you know the, the two episodes will be spread across a short period of time. Potentially, True. I don't know, um, but it, it could be the idea that we only see that um, Looking Glass has killed the Seventh Cavalry, escaped, but actually 
how long is it since PT found that to when it happened and that he's infiltrating into the seventh cavalry to either disrupt their plans mm-hmm. or, I mean, I can't imagine he's with them. No, he's not. Um, I, was, I, I was a guess, obviously. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> it's want to certainly anything in this show. That's all. <laughs> well, that's true, but uh, you know, certainly that I'm expecting that Agent Blake will suddenly like have um, one of the Seventh Cavalry raise their their mass just so that she knows it's him and it he may I, save her. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, it is I, Looking Glass. <laughs> yeah, I just had Leclerc. No, Ada. <laughs> Uh, yes, I I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted it because I think uh, even in one of our feedback episodes, everybody was going after episode five. Everybody wanted to know what happened to the Looking Glass, and then we had episode six, the future Emmy award winning episode six, or the future every award winning episode six. Um, and then they were like, we completely forgot about Looking Glass when you get to the end of the episode. They do mark it here as to what happened to him, but it's probably more important to the finale of the show than it would be just showing him in this episode. So they definitely yeah. wanted to include an idea that he's alive and that he's taken this Rorschach mask and is probably taken his vengeance uh, too, too keen uh, for sending these guys after him. So yeah. uh, very cool. Um, we're probably going to get another little flashback there uh, next episode to, uh, to what actually happened in that bunker with the, uh, with the fight sequence between all of these guys. No more flashbacks. <laughs> no, 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 no. He can just tell them. It's just like, hey, I beat the shit out of all these guys. As John said, we are four hours on the tight timeline. Let's say... We've got two hours to discuss what happens in four hours, mm-hmm. plus potentially some epilogue. Maybe that's yeah. not a lot of time. <laughs> um, they they can't. We can't lose five minutes of or ten. Let's say six minutes of <laughs> that one hundred and twenty minutes that into that. Um, I think you'll as much find, as I would love to see it. Yeah, I, I think you'll find if it's done well, you won't really care. <laughs> no, I just oh, with so much to tell. Hello. Um. But I think that that kind of wraps up all of our majority of our points. Mm-hmm. So, Clark, <laughs> is that you I hear? Is that some minutes ticking away? The doomsday clock is now at two minutes. I repeat, two minutes to midnight. Yeah, that one was terrible, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah two really minutes was. to midnight, our moment to talk about the things that we uh, noticed, some Easter eggs, some things that were in the episode. Uh, sadly, as we mentioned earlier on, since we've lost um, four intros to the episode and some of the episode itself, we have mentioned Easter eggs, and I'm not sure which ones we've mentioned and which ones we haven't. Yeah. So, um, really quickly, the uh, fog dancing, the movie, we see that on the rack in the shop in uh, Saigon. Um, fog dancing, if you remember, is the book written by the author of Black Freighter in the comic books. So they've also shown that they've made a movie, an adult movie from Fog Dancing. So uh, nice little touches in here, some really deep cuts for people that might are looking in the background for everything. Yep. Uh, one is the Stilk Stockings, the film, which is the kind of, we don't know whether it was a biography or, or whether it was just a, a kind of take on it, but it looked like it was basically a a, a it was about the Silk Spectre. From the comic book, I believe that Silk Spectre actually did do some um, adult movies um, connected with her brand, effectively. This is how she sold her brand. Um, she was in the crime fighting to sell a brand, effectively, and that was part of part of the sale. So, uh, yeah, they're still available in Vietnam. Uh, one question I did have, I wonder what the timing of that meeting between Angela and her grandmother, June, I wonder when that actually happened, because if you remember, she was born in 1976, is what we got from Cal a couple of weeks ago in, in the episode. Um, she's about nine or ten, maybe, 
Does yeah. that does that put her in 1985, the same time the squid dropped in New York? Is that possibly the reason why June had her heart attack at that particular moment? Is because the squid dropped in New York at that particular moment, and it has some global repercussions to it? Maybe, maybe not. Just wonder. It had it just popped into my head as a, as a little a little note to bring up. It's an interesting one. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. I just I, my assumption was it was she had a dodgy ticker, but mm-hmm. maybe it was um, she's allergic to shellfish. Yeah. Yeah, well, t- timing's just all important, really, uh, in in this world, right? Of of the Watchmen, right? So, yes, uh, because those TikToks always happen. Anything from your side, John? No, n- none really from from myself. Uh, there, there's a couple very shortly, but again, I'm not sure what we talked about. What we haven't. The history of uh, Doctor Manhattan um, was mm-hmm. in there, um, and it was very interesting. They uh, recreated and didn't use the Zack Snyder. Um, Dr. Manhattan walking in Vietnam. Yes. They recreated it. They didn't use the... I just assumed, since you've got Zack Snyder's copy there, which is one of the best ones, It's in terms of it was a great adaption of what was on the panel, mm-hmm. Um, they just they recreated it. And they didn't do it as well, in my opinion, Um, because it just looked like a guy painted blue walking on a green screen or green floor, and yeah. then they just put the the thing in. But it actually works well in this, yeah, because <laughs> the the TV is grainy, the film is grainy, and the it, it looks like out of place because it was grainy as well. So I thought it worked actually better for the thing. But I just assumed they would have used something else. Yeah, I think if you were going to see the actual footage from, you know, news cameras or whatever, it would probably be different. I think the point, yeah, you're exactly as you say, the point is that this is a documentary, a 10 hour documentary on Dr. Manhattan being sold in a pretty cheap back, back, back stall uh, video shop, you know. So the point is, it's not supposed to be, you know, IMAX quality uh, of, yes. of, a, of a scene. So I think if you did stick in the Blu-ray or the 4K version from, uh, from, um, Zack Snyder, then it would completely stand out and would look completely different. Yeah, so I, I like the idea that they recreated this small scene. I love that it kept going as well. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on, you know, the puppeteer was also showing that exact scene as the massive Dr. Manhattan puppet standing over the top of the Vietnamese or the Viet Cong, uh, killing them, crushing them uh, as he went on. That was the sign that he was not actually happy about uh, the taking over of Vietnam by the Americans is that he's got this particular puppet show of the God coming in and killing his people effectively. So, yeah. And one other massive one, just have to, because I don't know what you guys have been doing while we've been podcasting. I don't know whether you've been listening all the time to what I've been saying or John's been saying or Chris has been saying, or is there life on Mars has been going around and around in your head like it has for me. Uh, I can't get that song out of my head. The cover version that we hear at the end of the episode on piano is just beautiful. And I love that the whole realization effectively is there's no life on Mars now because Dr. Manhattan is in Tulsa. So what a brilliant choice uh, by the by the guys. Excellent. Yeah, I I, I was going to call out the music actually as one of my points as uh-huh. well, very quickly as a note. Um, I'm I'm sh- shocked when it happens. Um, you for me the 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 audio quality, the choice of music yeah. isn't a huge factor in TV or it's become more and more so. Mm-hmm. It's not often I'll hear something and go, oh my God, that was the perfect choice of a song. Uh-huh. When I was watching this episode, I sat at the end. And I was like, 
oh my god, that was the best choice of a song ever. Like, you could have done uh, any other, like, one, and it would have, wouldn't have had the same emotional impact uh, on that scene as that one choice of song. And they paid through the nose for that song. True, but remember, it's also a cover, um, as well, so don't pay as much. (laughs) So, but I think if they'd chosen the David Bowie original version of the song, it wouldn't have had the same impact because this actually feels a little bit like, uh, Westworld. You remember, John, they used to have the piano in Westworld, uh, playing contemporary songs, uh, in this traditional kind of Western way. Um, that's what this feels like. It feels like you're playing this beautiful version on the piano and it, it seeps into your head. As you're discovering, well, that Dr. Manhattan is inside somebody else's head, um, it, it shows you that, oh, of course, there's no life on Mars. Dr. Manhattan's right here. So it's a beautiful way of doing it. Another little layer that they've added to the yeah. show with the music once again. So uh, great choice. Yes, 100%. Um, gentlemen, I think that's all our, our points for this episode. Mm-hmm. We are at the end of this episode. So let's wrap it all up with what did we think of Watchmen Episode 7 and Almost Religious All. John, what was your takeaway? Um, I love this. This um, I think it, this is the most five out of fives I've ever given a show, certainly continuously, and this for me was five dodgy trapdoors out of five. <laughs> um, yeah, this really did make your, your, your stomach end up in your mouth um, with all this kind of exposition but just done in a really good way the shocks the revelations and everything and again in the same way that you know we got a little snippet about looking glass here it was interesting that will wasn't present in in this episode Mm -hmm. as well so oh god yeah yeah, i i I really enjoyed the elephant in that room (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) he was the elephant in the room (laughs) so I, i i thought this was a great um follow on and again i just can't wait to see how it all pans out i mean now um you know we have the next episode with dr manhattan back on earth mm-hmm. uh released from his his brain cage that was cal and uh yeah i think it's like this race against the clock it is the watchman of um you know to save humanity destroy humanity um put a white blue supremacist at the head of humanity or mm-hmm. godlike humanity uh, or unintended consequences for humanity from everything that lady true senator keen uh, will reeves uh, are doing so uh yeah this surely will be very interesting mm-hmm. excellent so chris uh what uh, what did you think of the the episode I, I'm in shock and awe. Um, I, I did talk about, um, the previous two episodes. I loved them. They were fantastic, but I felt the, the pacing had slowed down mm-hmm. of the, the season, uh, not because of the, the, any particular way uh-huh. or it was just that I was, I was eager to get back into present day. I was eager to find out what was happening. And that eagerness hasn't been satiated. Um, I am still now 120 minutes left in this season, in this show. And I've got so many questions. So many questions are being answered. Mm-hmm. It's amazing TV. Um, I didn't expect a lot of this to happen. And I like what they're doing with the show. I like what they're doing with the characters. Um, it is also answering questions of why certain huge actors 
as you say, are playing sometimes quite small roles. Yes, HBO, but like they they knew they were told, yeah, look, up for the first couple of episodes, you're going to just have these bit parts. It's terrible. But there's going to be one element that is going to turn it all around (laughs) and you're going to just, it's going to be amazing. And you're like, oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's why they got him to play her. Um, No. No, exactly. (laughs) Maybe. We know. Maybe. It could be. Literally, if Dr. Manhattan is in Cal, it could be anyone. Anyone could be anything. Dan Driver could be back and we just won't know. <laughs> it's so true. Like, come on. He could literally just take off a mat. Do you remember Mission Impossible? I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. But do you remember Mission Impossible, the very first film with Tom Cruise, where he rips off the latex mask? Oh, don't worry. That's every film. It's not and just the first one. <laughs> I know. But do you remember that was the first time we had ever seen something like uh-huh. that? And we were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I am so expecting something of that caliber. Uh, in we've already had a lot of that's it. basically what just happened at the end of this episode is just not an, instead of a hand going under to pull off a latex mask it was a hammer going through someone's head <laughs> to pull out yeah. dr manhattan from exactly. right in front of plain sight from the beginning of the series yeah exactly so we're gonna see even more of that i think, mm-hmm, I think. um so there you go that is all my points uh, that is all what my thoughts are in the summary but Derek, I need to hear what you thought of this episode before we close out. I, I really haven't got a huge amount to add to what you guys have said. Obviously, this is a really, really good episode. Chris, I will challenge you slightly and say if they'd answered all the questions by now, what the hell are they going to do for the other two hours? <laughs> this is a this true, is a mystery true. show, so they're going to keep that going. And it was actually pointed out to us in the past that exactly like the comic books, it is all solved right at the end of the comic books uh, for those 12 issues, 11 issues set of the questions and the 12th issue, they're all solved. I do think this this episode came as a massive shock, though, when you're there going, oh, OK, you're getting you're giving us all of this. OK, so this is why all of the people are the way they are. This is what all the plan of the evil guys is. This is the plan of the possibly good guys, possibly people that think they know better for the world than other people, which is Lady True. Um, this is the connection between Adrian Veidt and everybody else. Dr. Manhattan's here and in plain sight and has been there since the beginning. Angela's much more involved in everything than we thought she was. There's so much that happened in this episode that I just thought they they gave themselves a massive job and fulfilled it really well. I thought it was so good to watch, yes. filmed really well and written really well for an episode that didn't include the main showrunner as a writer on this uh, on this particular episode for the first time. So great job. Cannot wait for episode eight. Uh, really wanted to just turn on episode eight. But yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, classic. Looking yeah. forward to episode eight coming up. It's going to be a good one. Um, but gentlemen, I think it's about time we close out for this episode. Uh, fellow watchers, look out for our feedback podcast on this episode, Bulletins of our Atomic Watchers, later in the week. You've been killing it with the feedback so far, mm-hmm. and we're really enjoying doing the separate kind of quicker take on the, the feedback rather than kind of stuffing it into these main episodes. Yep. So send in your thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries we will always put up a spoiler post in there where you can throw your feedback in just remember that you need to get it into us by midday gmt on wednesday so that we can uh, include it in our recording absolutely yes we will be doing quicker episodes for our feedback episodes we say that as long as our computer stands the test of recording. Yes, quicker, right? absolutely. And remember, fellow watchers, get in your answers to the pub quiz questions 
for everything uh, to do with our nine pub quiz questions. Yes. And also, we will be giving out the last question for the pub quiz on the actual discussion episode for episode nine so we can uh, highlight the, the, the winners mm-hmm. uh, for uh, this little competition and pub quiz that we've been doing over the series of Watchmen. Yes, six questions asked so far over on the feedback episodes. We'll have a seventh question on this week's feedback episode. John is currently writing it, so he doesn't know it just yet, but we'll have it on the feedback episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to pick that up tvpodcastindustries.com. It's great fun hearing your thoughts about the episodes, so uh, keep them coming in, definitely. Yes. Uh, don't forget, you can also support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries. Your support keeps the lights on here, keeps us going, keeps us fed, uh, clothed, <laughs> watered, wined, and um, just tweaked enough on coffee and caffeine that we kind of come up with these crazy theories. <laughs> Okay, I'm not talking for my fellow podcast hosts. I'm talking just about myself. So support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash TV podcast industries. We will be back, as you know, with our feedback episode later in the week, but also next Monday with Watchmen episode eight, A God Walks Into a Bar. There you go. Sounds like a start of a joke, doesn't it? There is a synopsis for it, but I'm not sure whether this is an accurate synopsis. It's over from Spoiler TV. They have the synopsis from HBO. John, do you want to just read it? Sure. Angela's mysterious past in Vietnam is at last revealed. Now, I thought that would have been the synopsis for episode seven, but obviously there's a lot more to her past in Vietnam after her grandmother uh, had that heart attack behind the taxi and how she met up with Dr. Manhattan and maybe Cal and how they merged together. (laughs) So there's probably quite a lot more of her past to be revealed next episode. Oh, there is. Let's be honest. Right? This is going to be the. There's going to be a lot of like, yay! I do want to go to Vietnam mm-hmm. now. I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I'm kind of like, I want to go back to Vietnam. I, I've never been to Vietnam, <laughs> but it'll feel like a homecoming at this point. Excellent. So there you go, watchers. We will be back with episode eight. A God walks into a bar, uh, where we will be traveling back to Vietnam. So for now, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for listening to our rambles and thank you for supporting us on Patreon and just by listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll speak to you again very soon. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing it as well. Always good to share the podcast as well with your friends because sharing the podcast is sharing the love for TV podcast industries. Keep watching the Watchmen. Keep watching Mars. See if there's any life up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much fellow watchers. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you and remember, keep watching and keep listening. Bye. The chances of Dr. Manhattan coming from Mars are a million to one, they said. There's a star. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. See, that was nearly that good. Was that was nearly that was good. That was unbeat and everything. Uh, <laughs> Bye. 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 This was a Televisual Podcast Industries production. You have been listening to The Watchmen Podcast.